visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by Simon Pitt-Keithley, who has a variety of uh, job titles and roles to perform, uh, not least uh, being on the London LEP. Uh, local economic partnership, but also uh, chairs the uh, Camden Unlimited. Uh, is that right, Camden Unlimited, Simon? Uh, well, I'm the chief exec of Camden Town Unlimited. That's they it. are, yeah. And also Houston Bus uh, Business Improvement. And Houston District. Town, yeah. Uh, both business Camden Giving. Yeah. 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 So you're a busy yeah. person. I like to do a lot of things, yeah. Cam, uh, Camden Highline is another one of the things that we do. Yeah, I want to, I we're going to ask you to tell us a little bit about that at some stage. But th yeah. thanks for joining Downtown in Business London, really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> so you do a lot of work. I've visited you a couple of times up there in Camden. It's a very vibrant uh, area. How is it reacting to the current situation? Well, as you can imagine, it's a lot quieter than normal. The police were just telling me this morning, it's still busy compared to other parts of um, London, apparently. Um, uh, you know, Camden High Street is like any high street. It, it was going through a revolution in many ways that might have taken five to ten years. It's about to go through that revolution in five to ten months. Um, so I, I, I do think we're, we're looking at quite profound change. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we could talk more about that, but I, I, think, I think it's a really interesting time. Yeah, yeah, let's come back to that. And what about London itself? You have a, a, a role to play centrally, as it were, in terms of the LEP in uh, London. How, how do you think the city's bearing up? Uh, well, I mean, the, the stuff that we're doing with the mayor is obviously all about business resilience. How do we survive uh, in this current climate? Um, the basics are the same as everywhere, really. Businesses that have got cash and can flex their overheads are going to survive this much better than businesses that haven't got cash and can't. Um, so we're looking at ways in which we can change the grants programs to help those businesses in ways that, that, that it wasn't originally designed to do, uh, to make sure that government hear the pain and the problems that businesses are having and can adapt their strategies accordingly through the mayor. Um, so it, it's quite intense at the moment, actually. There's a lot of info gathering as well, just talking to people, understanding their problems. And every business, while the fundamentals are the same, there are quirks to each sector that you don't quite understand until you really get into the sort of meat of it with people. Yeah, whether it's hospitality or retail, leisure, manufacturing, whatever it might be, I'm sure. Yeah. And what, what, you mentioned the government. What, what do you think of the packages that they've rolled out in, in regard to this crisis? To be honest, I think they're fine. I mean, I've I, been impressed with the scale of them, frankly. Um, they're not perfect but then they're not going to be when you're reacting this quickly to something this huge um so no i i think it would be wrong to criticize them actually this time i think they're doing well yeah and you mentioned the mayor the, the uh, we might as well deal with it now the elections have been postponed i think haven't they so they have that does that make a difference do you think particularly um well, in, in, in a sense, to, to, to the voters and the taxpayers, you know, you've got one mayor or another mayor, you still got, you know, the funding still carries on. So I suppose it doesn't in that regard. But the mayoral terms are fixed for four years, uh, same as to the local councils that have been delayed. And so a lot of your planning and thinking is around that time frame. So to extend it changes things. So you have to adapt. But yeah, given, given the circumstance, you're having to adapt so much anyway. Um, I think it's good that the mayor is not going into a, an election. 
uh, a time like this. That's what really matters. We need clear, straightforward leadership, uh, and he's providing that. And so, uh, excluding Sadiq Khan initially from some of the Cobra meetings, some of the crisis meetings that were being held at central government level, that was a mistake, was it? A bit of party politics coming in there unnecessarily, do you think? Uh, uh, who knows what it's party politics? I mean, you know, some might say it's because if you let Sadiq in, you had to let Nicola in. But who, who knows? Who knows yeah. what's going on there? Um, but I think uh, it's right that he was included and that, that they're getting that intel right from the horse's mouth now. Um, I joined a meeting with Sadiq just after his first Cobra meeting. and It was clear from the look on his face that, um, you know, he was able to understand things as well as he was able to communicate things to, to that meeting, yeah. Which is what we want, yeah, absolutely. And, and just finishing off in terms of uh, the mayorality in central London, transport, uh, there's been some criticism there, hasn't there, in terms of how many tube lines were running, et cetera, et cetera. What's your view on that? They've got it right now, do you think? I think they've got it right now. I think it's, it's a diff very difficult balance. You don't want to keep providing services, which, let's face it, are very expensive when people aren't using them and shouldn't be using them. Mm. But you need to get the balance right in terms of uh, uh, helping core essential staff get it, get around a bit as best they can so yeah again in a crisis like this at this magnitude you're not going to get all these things right straight away the important things is to adapt to the intel as you get it and i think they've done that well yeah and coming on to uh, euston business improvement district that must be quite a challenge hs2 is a big issue what, what's your view on hs2 we're, we're getting it now aren't we more or... yeah we, we're getting it now and you know again presumably in, in when there's a there's a slowdown you want big infrastructure projects funded by the state to go ahead because it helps the economy move you know um so i'm sure that will happen uh, there's there's a bit of technical stuff around um, the company that's going to be created at the Eastern End to make it more seamless or joined up in the area. And, and that's something we've been pushing for for a while. There are four stations on that site, effectively, or there will be. There's the HS2 site, the existing network rail site, the TFL stations, and then there's also potentially the Crossrail 2 station, which is also important to London. Um, so we've been advocating a four station solution there. Don't build these things piecemeal and stick them together after the fact. Yeah. See it as a one regeneration area, uh, area regeneration project that has four parts to it and do it in one go. So we go through the pain once rather than multiple times. Um, so hopefully the company, new company will help do that, but we're still to see the detail of it. Yeah, I've been traveling through Euston for many years now. I quite enjoy it actually, but it's quite a challenging area, isn't it? It's quite a mix of large companies, but also lots of micro businesses, small retailers, small uh, restaurants, etc. It's a yeah. challenging area, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, like anywhere like that. I mean, one of the challenges for the business improvement industry is to help people understand it's not just a station. This is actually a, a, a town centre. Yeah, it's got multiple parts to it, and as you say, it's quite complex. From very big footplate offices to the tiny traders on Drummond Street doing yeah. southeast Indian Asian food, um, and we've done a lot of work with that uh, the Drummond Street community to try and keep that part. You know, that, that that's a really nice, interesting part of London in terms of its food offer. It's quite unusual, in fact, much better than Brick Lane, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it, it it kind of needs to survive through these changes. If you knock down two big hotels at the end of the road, which they've done, that's gonna have a massive impact on those sorts of businesses. So how can we do stuff to help it, it, it maintain some sort of footfall? We've created 
walked through down there. We created a thing called the Euston Green Link to link Euston Station up to Regent's Park through Drummond Street. Right. It's a way of trying to keep that that that, that contact and footfall going, so that a those businesses survive the the interim period, but also that that's a an integrated part of the final station that beds it more into the community rather than it being a kind of walled site that doesn't integrate with its surroundings. And so you were always a supporter of HS2. You pleased to see it come on stream. Uh, I, I, I would say that uh, a pragmatic agnostic is how I describe myself. Look, this stuff is, you know, good for us all. Um, you know, we, 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 uh, we lost you there, Simon. We've no, got back Chris in. on my screen now. <laughs> We got me now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so what was I saying? Yeah, so I mean, as far as Houston's concerned, yes, an agnostic um, uh, 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 pragmatist, I think, is, is how I describe myself. But big infrastructure projects are important for lots of reasons, and now probably more than ever. And you, you've, in some respects, specialised in uh, high streets. That's how I came to know you quite well by visiting. Uh, Camden and seeing what you were doing up there not just all of, not just about high streets all the other work around uh, helping businesses start up fledgling businesses there's uh, some really interesting stuff around that just give us a, an overview of what you've been doing in Camden in terms of business support and it, it was a bit of an alternative approach really I think yeah I think we, we we set up a thing called Camden Collective about 10 years ago and that's had 18 different meanwhile use spaces over that 10 years and we've probably had two and a half thousand people that we supported in in that journey and what we fundamentally do is find any space we can get our hands on and we give away the majority of it for free yeah. and we're looking for people with sort of lower levels of social capital who've got great business ideas and enthusiasm and give them a space but also a network of other people in the same boat uh, people apply, we, we, we select them, and if they're successful, then they have to abide by three very important rules. The first of which is don't be an arse, which people always think is a joke, but actually it's about understanding you're part of the community. And, you know, we're doing this on a shoestring. We need people to get with the programme. Give us two hours a month of your time, ideally stuff that will help the rest of the community, uh, the business community that's, that's in the space. And thirdly, quarterly reviews sit down with us, let's see your numbers, um, let's see what you're doing. And hopefully that gives us opportunities to intervene and help people in that way. And really what we're trying to do is give people who are not sort of typical we work fodder, if you know what I mean, yeah. the opportunities to access those kind of spaces and networks. But we're also trying to sort of see the next generation of creative entrepreneurs in Camden Town. Um, we recognise that when, you know, I was a young man, um, anyone could afford to kind of live and work in Camden. That's not true anymore. If you want to yeah. set up a business uh, here, it's, it's tricky uh, because of the cost. So can we get that next generation of creative entrepreneurs to see Camden its home by starting them off with some free space? It's excellent. It? it keeps it more vibrant. I've seen it in action. It's, it's, exactly, yeah. 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 And, and that leads into, into the next issue, Simon, really, around high streets and, and something that you've talked a lot about, done a lot around bids, etc. Uh, where do you think we're going with that, taking into account coronavirus? And I know you've said to me, you pointed out, I, I, I in the past have done a lot around business rates. And it's not so much business rates, it's rental costs, really. Uh, but could you tell us what you think, where are high streets heading and what can the government do, what can local authorities do? Sure. I mean, I think the fundamental in terms of the, the current pandemic crisis is that what was going to happen to high streets over the next five to ten years anyway, because... 
of the, the land value issue and the way we shop um, is now probably going to happen in five to ten months. Um, I think that, that, that it's, it's fast tracking this change uh, in ways that it's very difficult to properly understand or, or adapt to at the moment. But those fundamentals are still the same, that we shop online, we go to high streets to do more than we do to buy, uh, and that's just going to accelerate. The problem, I think, behind all of this is that the land values, the rents that are charged, have not caught up with this change. Um, so you've still got landowners expecting to get the kind of retail rents that they've been getting for a long time. And in my view, that sector, that process, has been heavily supported by a series of naive first-time retailers coming in the bottom end, taking on leases they can only just afford, getting by in the first year because they've had a rent-free period and come the second year, it's not sustainable. They fall out, another one comes in. And it enables the rent levels to be sustained, but it's not a very efficient or um, agreeable way of doing things. It's pretty costly as well for those naive retailers that often burn through their life savings or their investors' money, only to kind of keep those rent levels uh, where they are. Now, I think business rates, so, so I think, you know, a shift there is going to be hard. It's going to hurt. Changing property values is, is going to hurt a lot. Whether Corona is going to achieve it, I don't know. And in London, because you've still got a supply and demand issue over property in general, yeah, we'll see. But high streets are changing. People are using them differently. Will people keep wanting to do um, what they've done in the past to keep their rent levels where they are? And that's also, I think, true of the office sector. Look at us. We're learning to use, to work in yeah. office environments that aren't office environments. Yeah. And um, that, I think, is going to have an impact on the property sector in some way. It's hard to predict. So I think that shift probably is coming and how it happens, we don't know. And I think business rates needs to follow and understand that. It's ba business rates are based on rents anyway in the end. Mm. Not a, it's not, so it's rather a opaque system, but, it, but they are fundamentally based on the rents. Um, so I think that, 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 that rates need to follow that. But I also think that one of the changes one could make to business rates is to make the liability fall on the owner rather than the occupier mm. now um one of the problems with our system is it's the the business that occupies the space that creates the jobs that pays the taxes that brings the life and character to the places to the particularly when we're talking about retail and high streets yet all the benefit goes on up to the to the landowner now i don't doubt that if the rates were levied against the owner rather than the occupier they wouldn't ultimately end up being picked up by the occupier that's how the world works and owners are very good at doing that but you bring those people into the conversation mm. currently they can register overseas and you don't even necessarily know who these people are and they're not incentivized to engage with places like high streets it's much easier just to sit there and let the rent fall in or even to leave them void if you think long term that that, that putting something cheaper in there is going to reduce your, your your yield over time so um, I do think something like that flip of the liability would be an interesting way to sort of change the way we think about property taxes. And anything local authorities should be doing in terms of, did they leave it to the market or should they intervene or something in between? Uh, it's, it's hard when you don't own the land. Mm. But the where, where I think local authorities, and it's a national government problem, it's not local, local, uh, in, in local government's gift at the moment to change this, but maybe you could create special special policy areas where you experimented with it. 
But if you could change the nature of use class, so currently retail is a, a one or a, a restaurants are a three and offices B one and I can't remember all the rest. Um, and you can't, it's, it's hard anyway to change those use classes, particularly in one direction. And often that's the landowner that's resistant to changing the use class in a way that would reduce the rental yield on a property, even though it might be better for the area that that were a restaurant rather than a retail unit. Um, but if you could imagine an environment where you gave the use class to the occupier rather than to the building, that if, if I'm a restaurateur and I turn up at a suitable location with my use class and I negotiate my rent with the landlord based on that and the subsequent user would have a different use class and a different rental value potentially, that would give more flexibility to the way buildings are used in high streets. And I think that would be uh, a, a useful change. Like I say, it needs national legislation, but local authorities could maybe impose special policy areas or, you know, dare I say, turn the blind here, eye here and there and allow the market to kind of find its feet. And I think they're going to have to do things like that in, in, in the, the area we find ourselves in now. And it is a different time we suddenly find ourselves in. Yeah. And just in the last couple of minutes that we've got, Simon, to tell us about Camden Highline. It, it follows something that's similar to uh, in New York, does it, in terms of... A yeah, exactly. The same idea. A bit of disused railway infrastructure that's up above. Um, it's a big viaduct. Um, we're different from New York in the sense that there's still a live train line running on the other side of the viaduct. Right. So you'd have trains going past you. You're going to have to build a wall to separate the two. Um, hopefully a nice, beautiful, opaque wall so you can still see the trains uh, trundling past you. Um, but yeah, we want to use um, a piece of infrastructure to turn it into an amazing park in the sky that will allow people to walk uh, between Kentish Town, uh, Camden Market effectively, uh, and the back of King's Cross development so that you could shop in Coldrops Yard down in King's Cross walk up to the High Line five minutes away, walk down the High Line, drop into Camden Market, and then wander on up to the Roundhouse for an evening show. And in a sense, move around that bit of London in a much more pedestrian-friendly, interesting, green way than you currently can. Um, and, and, and enabling people to think differently about how you move around that part of London. As a regeneration project, it's obviously quite interesting because it's connecting these two quite successful parts of the borough and of London in ways they're not currently connected. It creates a, um, an attraction in its own right, as it, as it does in New York. But it's also going through some of Camden's more densely populated areas of social housing. And one of the Mayor of London's aspirations is that everyone should be within 400 metres of green space. Well, if you build a high line there, 10,000 people suddenly get that access that yeah. they, wouldn't, they don't currently have. So it has this nice sort of build in from the community bottom up from the community aspect to it as well as being an economic driver as well and we've had 1500 people from the local community go on walks already you can't get up there yet you can just walk around underneath it and see after a thousand people making donations via the website and we're getting close to be able to start the process of a competition that will allow international companies to, to, to come up with cool and interesting designs for it get us through planning uh, and then we'll move on to the next stage of raising the big money to build it so um it's exciting yeah and what, what's the length of that and what's your role in it? You chair, chair it, do you? So I'm the chief exec of it as well as, well as that. I kind of have, you know, lots of hats. Um, but um, I think uh, it, it's so, so the business improvement district, Camden Town Limited, is the driver of it. So we're, and it'll become it's in, an independent entity in its own right over time. But that's the beauty of a business improvement district. 
So you can, because my time is already paid for, the additional money that I raise goes towards the project and the bid is the sponsor of it. Um, and I think business improvement districts are really interesting like that because we're elected by the business community. So we have this weird democratic legitimacy. We've got our own governance, our own finance. Um, and, and if we survive the current crisis, we can, we can, we can seed these things and pump prime them with our own money and initiative. We can bring the enthusiasm and the governance to them in ways that, local authorities or regional authorities struggle to because it's they're not quite local enough and they don't have the sort of flexibility and the fleet of footness that we do so i think it's quite i think bids can be quite an interesting players in, in landscapes in the future but um yeah. it, it, interesting times all around simon it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for joining us in downtown london den uh the first person to do it i'm really pleased to uh to speak to you so thank you very much indeed not at all thanks for your time Brilliant.